0: You are listening to the Impact Church Podcast. To learn more about Impact Church, visit us online at impactharlem.org. You can also check us out on social media. Well, amen. Amen. Who believes that God is good? Amen. Awesome. God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. I love this series that we're in. I love the book of Psalms. It's one of my favorite books, and it just shows that God cares about creativity. And God is a creator in and of Himself. Obviously, He created all that we see, all that we know. And uh, as a as a creative person, uh, that's that's my title here, creative arts pastor, is to to dig through this book, is just such an amazing and just fun adventure. And what's so cool about the book of Psalms is it's a it's a grouping. And it's a grouping of like of songs, of poems, of just creative art forms, some speeches in there. And it just it shows us the heart of these folks. So when we listen to music, say you listen to country or or rap or pop or whatever you might listen to, and you hear these songs that people sing and the songs that they write and that they put out there are mostly from their experiences, the things that in their lives they've experienced and have grown to change them. And they want to put that into an artistic form and they put it out there. And that's what the book of Psalms is, is is people, David and other psalmists, just creating, uh, just having these experiences and wanting to put them out there for folks to, to learn from and to understand. And obviously, this is all about Jesus. Not every song that we might listen to outside of these walls may be about Jesus. I'm right there with you, but but this is all about Jesus, and it's all about God and His faithfulness and how He is good, like we just sang. And so I love that as a as a creative that we get to see the hearts of the psalmist and we get to see their creativity and the way they put it out there. And a lot of times these psalms they'll have. Uh, I love this as a as a worship pastor they'll have like kind of directions on how to lead. They'll say like, hey, use these instruments or for the choir director, like sing it this way. And Then they'll have like kind of some breakdowns in some of them to say, hey, th- say this every, you know, third verse or whatever. And it's really cool. But this one, we're going to be in Psalm 34 today. Uh, it gives us some historical context. So we kind of see why the psalm was written in the first place. So this is uh, King David who wrote this uh, psalm and he wrote this before he was, King, He had already been anointed king, but he was not king yet. So we're going to dive into that history a little bit because it's such a cool story. So what it says at the very front end of this psalm, it says, of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. And we see this happening uh, earlier in the Bible. So essentially... Let's just, let's just lay some groundwork here before we dive into how to apply this to our life. So, of David, when he changes his behavior. So, when did he change his behavior before Abimelech? So, we got to learn what that story is, and why did he get before Abimelech, and what was his behavior before, what was he known for, and then why did he drive him out, where did he go? So, um, David, King David, uh, many of us, if you've been in church at any point in time, you've probably heard of King David. David is one of my favorite uh, people in the Bible because he reminds me of what God can do despite like our screw ups, our mess ups. Like God can do so much with an available heart, right? We just put ourselves out there, make ourselves available. So David is is known to be a man after God's own heart. And you I've been listening to First Kings a lot on my drives to uh, to the gym and work in the morning uh, and in first Kings, it's the, it's the transition after David has passed away, and it's the transition to the new uh, the new king. And what's so cool is God speaks so favorably, favorably of David. And he clearly has like this this kind of respect for David about how he was thinking about God's ways a lot and how he lived in a way that he wanted to seek after God's ways and God's will and honor God with his life. So that's, that's kind of how King David was known. Uh, so King David, before he was King David, he was a shepherd. So before he was anointed, uh, so God is like, all right, I'm going to transition the kingdom uh, or the king line in Israel, and I'm going to take uh, it's not going to be Saul anymore when he passes on. It's not going to be in his line. We're going to go to a different line. So he sends out a prophet. He sends out Solomon. He says, go to this house of Jesse. And Jesse is this guy there, and he has a bunch of sons. Uh, David's one of them, but he has, David's the youngest, so he has a bunch of other sons before him. And so Solomon comes up to the house of, house of Jesse, and Jesse's like, yeah, look at my sons. They're, they're buff. They're handsome. They're cool. And like Solomon's like, nope, not it. Not it, not it, not it, not it. Like these all look like kings, but God clearly had a different plan. So we get to all, get through all of them, and and Solomon's like, you know what? Um, it's not here. He's not here. Like there's someone else that you have. Uh, is do you have any more sons? And Jesse's like, yeah, I got this one kid. Um, he's in the the fields shepherding right now, and. It's kind of not all that impressive. I don't know if he's king material. Solomon's like, come on, bring him in. So um, it brings him in. And uh, the prophet's like, and as soon as he brings him in, he meets him, God speaks to him. He's like, this is the king that I have. This is who you anoint. So he anoints him as king. And then uh, David goes on. He serves Saul a little bit. So the Bible says that Saul's struggling with an evil spirit and uh, he serves Saul a little bit by playing the the lyre, the harp, just essentially kind of comforting his soul um so we see his musicianship, and I imagine he he learned that had some, some little bit of time on his hands while he is out shepherding the flock so then uh then later he comes back home, and the uh and Israel gets in a war, and there's this guy that you might have heard of, his name's Goliath, this big joker uh and he's out there just absolutely just chewing out, just laying into the Israelite army. And he's saying, he's challenging them, he's challenging God, he's just, he's cursing them, and it's just a nasty situation. And all of the the army, the Israelite army, is like, I don't want to touch this guy. Like, King Saul's even there, and he's like, I don't want to go battle this dude. And essentially it worked out like, you defeat me, you win. I defeat you, we win. It's like a one-on-one match. But this joker, like, have you seen... Have you ever seen a picture of Shaquille O'Neal with, like, Kevin Hart? Has anyone ever seen a picture, that picture? I've seen it a few times. And I've never seen anyone make Shaq look small until I saw a picture with Yao Ming, Shaq, and then Kevin Hart. Like, and I get it. Like, I'm short. Like, Kevin Hart's, I'm probably the same. height as him. maybe he's a little bit shorter than me. I don't know. I might have an inch or two on him. But, like, he's huge, like Shaq is huge, and then Yao Ming is like bigger, but he's a little bit skinnier, but like if you stood Goliath up next to these guys, like he's going to make them look like Kevin Hart, right? Goliath's a a big old joker, and uh, so David, uh, Jesse sends David, and he says, hey, my sons are fighting this battle. Go take them some lunch. Just make sure they're okay, Uh, and so he gets to the battlefield, and he sees what's going on. He sees Goliath out there challenging God and challenging the army, and no one's stepping up, and he says, what are you guys doing? Like, I'll go fight him. Like, David didn't have any fear. He's like, I'll go fight him. They tried to put some armor on him. He's like, this isn't going to fit. So he goes and fight him. We know that story. Uh, he probably got good with the sling as a shepherd, too. You Had to fight off some, uh, some predators to keep his sheep's, sheep's, sheep safe. Um, so he picked up some stones, just whoosh, uh, knocked out Goliath. And then Cut his head off with his own sword, which I think is kind of uh, the manliest part of that story um, and probably one of my favorite parts of that story. It's something that will go over well into a movie. Um, and then they, uh, they win, right? And then after this happens, so after the defeat of Goliath, uh, there's apparently a music industry in this point of time. This is something I kind of learned. Um, and some ladies wrote a song, and they said, Saul killed his thousands... David killed his 10,000s. And this song got pretty popular, apparently, so much so that Saul, the king, was like, I don't like this. I don't like this at all. Like, it's showing me up. And he got jealous. And again, he's dealing with this this wicked spirit that he's battling. And uh, he gets jealous of David, and he tries to kill David, right? And he, three times, three separate times, he throws a spear David's direction. Like, first time, like, Oops, I slipped, okay. Second time, like, dude, what's going on? Third time, like, okay, you're trying to kill me. It's clear. What's happening here? And so uh, he's trying to kill David. Uh, David's, or Saul's son, Jonathan, says to David, he's on Team David, uh, he says, listen, my dad's crazy. He's relentless. You need to get out of here. So David, in fear, leaves and runs away from the presence of King Saul. So he's operating in fear at this point. And when we operate in fear, we make a lot of dumb decisions, right? I think we can all attest to that. Like when you start operating in fear and living in fear, you, you have a tendency to make some poor decisions. So he ends up uh, going to this priest, and he gets to this priest, and he lies to him. He says, hey, I'm on this like secret mission from the king. Uh, I need some, some food. I need some bread. Do you have anything? The priest is like, listen, I only have this, this holy bread that's set apart for ceremony. David's like, that's cool. I can have that. And I was like, no, it's set apart for ceremony. He's like, no, no, I can have that. So he ends up like disgracing something set apart, sacred, set apart for ceremony. He takes this bread and he eats it. And he says, I need a, um, I need a sword. I need a weapon. I need something to, to protect myself. And just so happens... This priest has Goliath's sword. And David's like, yeah, I'm familiar with that. I've used it before. Come on, bring it to me. I'll I'll carry that. So he takes Goliath's sword. So in fear, he's operating. He goes and he lies to this priest. And he desecrates some holy bread meant uh, meant for ceremony. And he steals the sword of Goliath. So he's operating and making some poor, poor decisions. And then he goes from there, holding Goliath's sword, to a place called Gath. And I don't know... This is probably my favorite like turning point of this story because I don't know if this is the dumbest decision in the history of the world or perhaps like the biggest troll job in the history of the world. So Gath, if you don't know, is actually Goliath's hometown. So Buddy who killed Goliath brings Goliath's sword into Goliath's hometown. Like that's not a recipe for good things to happen to you. And of course he's found out and he's taken before the king. And that's kind of, that's this guy. That's Abimelech. And his, his real name is, Abimelech's more of a title. His real name is Akish, And Abimelech is kind of like a title, like Pharaoh is the king of Egypt, right? So Abimelech's the title for the king of Gath there. And so he, he, he gets taken before Abimelech, before the king. And he's obviously, like we said, he's operating in fear. And so the king recognizes. And this is how we know there's a music industry at this point in time, because the king knows the song. He says, oh, you're David. You're the one. You killed the 10,000s and Saul killed the thousands. Like, he knows the song. So there's apparently a a music industry back then, which I find kind of cool. But David knows he's found out. He's scared. And he's like, I'm going to act an absolute fool and get myself out of here. So he starts acting like a crazy man. He starts drooling all over himself, scratching at the walls, just dancing wildly. He changes his behavior. He changes who he has been before Abimelech. So he gets sent out. Abimelech says, I have enough crazy people here. Get that guy out of here. Like, so he gets sent out and then he goes and he settles down in a cave. And the Bible says that 400 men come to stay with him in that cave. So it must be a pretty big cave. And the Bible describes these men. And I love this. The Bible describes these men as basically broke, grumpy, and depressed. So, like, imagine your lifestyle. This isn't the shiniest shiniest of moments for David. He's in a cave in the middle of the desert with some broke, depressed, grumpy dudes, right? So that's not the lifestyle he probably dreamed of living once he was anointed king. So that's where David writes this psalm. That's where he writes Psalm 34. So he goes through all of this, this mess, and he's lied to a priest. He's eating consecrated bread. He's stolen a sword. He took... the the sword that he stole into the sword owner's hometown who he happened to kill. Uh, He acted like a crazy man in front of that king, got ran out, and now he's in a a cave with 400 smelly, broke dudes, right? Um, It's kind of like college. So uh, then we get to where he writes uh, Psalm 34, and this is such an important thing for us. The first thing that happens with him in Psalm 34, he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. I, his praise shall continually be on my mouth. And then in verse four, it says, I sought the Lord. He answered me and he delivered me from my fears." So he had been seeking God. He said, all right, I'm operating in fear. He recognizes what's going on in his life. He says, I'm operating in fear. I'm seeking the Lord. Guess what he answered me. He delivered me from my fears. So. I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise shall forever be in my mouth. What we see here is a realization and a repentance from David. We see David's realization and his repentance. So he's going through it. He's battling uh, whether or not he's going to listen to fear or listen to the truth of what he knows about God. And if we go back to the to the passage to verse one, it says, I shall bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my mouth. This is. Realization and repentance is really how we operate from from a praise and a worship standpoint. And it's really how we should always operate and continually operate as as Christ followers. We should always recognize who we are in light of who God is, right? And restore God to make sure he's in the right uh, order in our lives, that he's at the tippy top, at the paramount. And that's what what happens throughout a lot of Psalms, but that's what David's doing here. He's recognizing, like, hey, I've played a role here. Uh, I'm operating in fear. I'm seeking after God. God's changed my heart, and I'm going to praise him forever. And I love that it says his praise shall continually be in my mouth. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. If you're married in this place, I want you to listen to me. Just really lean in for a second. Husbands, wives, lean in for just a second. It doesn't matter how your heart feels if you never express it. If you never put it out. You can love your spouse with everything that you have, but if you never are able to verbalize that or put it into action, how is your spouse ever going to know that? How is your spouse ever going to know it? I heard a pastor say this one time. He says, unspoken gratitude is worthless. And it's the same thing with God. So we speak and that's why we sing these songs and we say out loud, God, you're good. You're good. All my life, you've been faithful. All my life, you've been so so, so good. I will sing of the goodness of God. And that's what's happening here. He says, praise shall continually be in my mouth. I'm going to speak it. I'm going to say it. I'm going to put it out there. So we see that that David has a realization of, of what's going on in his life. He's operating in fear and he says, I'm going to seek, I've sought God. He's been seeking God. God delivered him from his fears and he's going to put his gratefulness, his gratitude on his lips. And he's going to praise God for the movement that God is making in his heart. Unspoken gratitude is worthless if it changes our heart. But it never gets out that it ever really change our heart. Luke 6, 45, it says out of the abundance of of the heart the mouth speaks. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. So if it ever, did it ever really change our hearts if we can't put it into words? And I know sometimes that's, that's hard to think about and it's, you know, we think like, oh, we don't have the greatest voice so we're not going to sing out or we're not going to talk about God because we don't know, you know how to answer questions or, or whatever the case is. We're going to talk about testimony here in just a few minutes, but, but it's got to come out of our mouth we have to his praise and his honor and his glory should continually be on our mouth and David realizes that and he says that and when at all times he says the good the bad the dark and the light so he doesn't care what he's going through he just knows who God is in light of who he's going through and God can take care of it right so we see a recognition and a repentance and him him verbalizing that repentance and him putting it out there Give himself a little bit of a pep talk. So the second thing that happens uh, here in verse two. So we see verse one and verse four. Verse four explains verse one. Verse one kind of just puts it out there for uh, for the first time, and then verse two he establishes that there's an audience, right? So in verse two, David says, uh, "My soul makes its boast in the Lord." This is where it changed. Let the humble hear and be glad. So he's talking to somebody. Let the humble hear and be glad. So I think he's talking to the 400 in the cave right here. Uh, And He says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. So what we're seeing here is he establishes that he's talking to someone. So I kind of read the psalm as a little bit as a speech, um, more so than, than a song that we're singing. This is kind of him talking to these guys and and, and saying, like, hey, listen up, I got something to tell you, because God's working in my heart, he's changed my life, he's delivered me. Here we go, listen up. So that's how we're going to kind of read this and break through it. Uh, now that we know the historical context as to why David wrote Psalm 34, let's kind of break it down a little bit by a little bit, uh, and uh, see how we can apply it to our lives. Uh, so the first thing we see is we see an invitation We see an invitation to receive what God has, to receive his word. As I mentioned before, reading the passage, David repents and he addresses his audience. He invites them to to join in the praises. And then he says in verse eight later on, he says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He gives constant uh, invitation to accept and to experience God's word and what God has for them to hear. So that's, that's our mission, right? That's like what we do. That's how we operate. That's like the first step in the framework of how a, a Christ follower operates is that we are to give invitations. And so this is part of kind of what we are about here at Impact. We, we often say we want to lead people to know the love of God, and this is, this is knowing the love of God, inviting people to know the love of God, and that's what David is doing right here. Um. He's if you go back to to Matthew, this is Jesus right before he's getting ready to ascend to heaven. And this is our mission. This is what we're called to do. He says, go, therefore, make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I shall be with you always. That's that's our mission. That's like that's like his parting words almost. or He says, like, this is what I'm calling you to do. This is what I want you to do. So go, therefore, and and speak and invite So that is like our mission as Christ followers is to invite people to know the love of God. Romans 10, 14 says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And I know what you're saying. Like, there's my out. Like, I'm not a preacher. Like, okay, I don't have to do that. I'm not a preacher. You're not that you're not so much. Uh, lucky right there. So if you go back to that word preach and you look at it in the Greek, it's actually "caruso," uh, which means anyone giving a message. So you're not, you're, not, you're not scot-free there. You have a message to give because Jesus when he changed your heart, he gave you a message. And that message, and he gave us a command to go therefore and make disciples. So he gave us a message and we're all messengers. We take that message and we invite others into the presence and to experience God's word. So how does that practically look in our lives? Just a couple ways. Um, just conversations. How can we turn conversations towards Jesus? Maybe someone, maybe you run into someone at KJ's or Family Dollar or somewhere and um, they're like, hey, we're just going. I haven't seen you in a while. And they're like, hey, oh, we're just going through this, this thing. It's like, okay, can I can I pray for you? That, that's a way to, to turn that conversation towards Jesus. Or to say, like, man, I'm so uh, so sorry you're going through that. Like, I've been through similar things, and um, I don't know how I would have got through it without Jesus. Like, there's a way for us to turn conversations, everyday conversations, towards Jesus, and we can, we can make a point to do that. And God will leverage us for his kingdom when we make ourselves available to do that. So conversations is one way. Maybe you're doing that with your neighbor, in your school, uh, with your family, obviously. Hopefully you're, you're having those conversations with your family. But at the very least, and we would love people to, to invite on their own, for you guys to invite on your own uh, people into the knowledge of God's love. But you can obviously invite them to church. Say, hey, listen, I go to church at Impact. Um, would love for you to come sit with me next week. Uh, they... We talk a lot about how God changes our hearts and changes our lives and in hard times that he's there and he's he's good. And we can we can rest assured in who he is Uh, and you can just invite him. So there's a couple ways that you can apply to your your life a way that you can uh, invite to hear the word of God. So that's what David does initially. And then second application is he goes on to give a testimony of God's character a testimony of God's character. And here's the thing, is I understand testimonies can be tricky sometimes, but basically what it boils down to is David spends most of this passage just bragging on God. Let me tell you about God. Let me tell you about what He's done for me. I sought Him, and He relieved me from my fears. He delivered me from my fears. And he starts kind of breaking down some things about God. And he says, God gives confidence to His children. That's verse 5. Those who look to Him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. He listens to his children. Verse 6, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. God is a comforter. Verse 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit. He's near to the brokenhearted. In our our most vulnerable of times where, where things just absolutely stink in our lives, there's nothing good going for us. We're just broken. We're in pieces. God is a comforter. He is near to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. He's a deliverer and a defender. Verse four, I sought the Lord. He answered me, delivered me from my fears. Verse seven, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Verse 17, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and he delivers out them out of all of their troubles. Verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of all of them. Verse 22, the Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. See, David's giving a testimony to who God is and what God has done in his own personal life. Remember when we talked about earlier how creatives, we have a tendency when we write something or we develop something or we draw something or we put a script together or whatever we do. We have a tendency to put our own experiences into those pieces. And that's what David is doing. He's bragging on God. He said, this is my experience. This is what I want you to do. And that's how our testimony is built. That's what we do. That's how we operate with a testimony. So we say, God has done this for me. He is a good father. He is a good God who has done so many things. He's delivered me out of this. I used to be absolutely terrified of this or that. And I'm I'm, I'm okay with it now. Like God, I, I can trust in God. He's a firm foundation. Or I've struggled with this, I've, I've been addicted to this, and God freed me from those things. And it's still always a work in progress, but God has, has freed me from those things. I no longer am a, am a slave to those things because I'm, because I'm free in who God has me. And whatever your testimony is, some of us have these like what seemingly by world standards are crazy elaborate testimonies where we've gone through these crazy life experiences and we used to maybe get in a lot of trouble or we've been in... You've know, gone through uh, just different things, addictions and struggles and, and whatever the case is, health issues. And then we just we have a we have a testimony to say that God's done this. But then sometimes it's kind of hard to, to be on the other end of that and say, well, I haven't really experienced all of those things like, you know, my life's been been pretty good. I never really, like, snuck out as a kid, never got into the party scene, never got into drugs, never, you know, did this, like, and that's me, like, just to be completely honest, that's me. I was a decent kid, like, I didn't do a lot of those things, and sometimes it's intimidating to share a testimony, because, like, you got this guy on your left who's like, yeah, I used to, you know, I was in prison for, uh, Yada, 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 yada. But God delivered me such a good God. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, well, I didn't do that. But but God's God like he's good. But the truth is every testimony is a testimony to a miracle, because when God works what he's doing, when he speaks into your heart, he's raising a dead life to life. He's raising something that is dead and hopeless without breath and without hope into a life that is holy and that has hope for all eternity. God has delivered me. He has delivered me out of things. Sure. He has delivered there's some things, there's some there's lying, there's arrogance, there are things in my life that maybe aren't the great uh, where we kind of measure sin. But he has delivered things in my life and brought me back. And ultimately he has delivered death. He's delivered me from death and into life. Forever. We all have a testimony to share of God's goodness. Whether we've experienced a life where we haven't experienced much or whether we've gone through everything that we could possibly go through, we have a testimony to share. And this is showing the love of God. Here at Impact, like I said, we we want to encourage people to know the love of God, to grow in the love of God, and to show the love of God to the world. And this is showing, the testimony is us showing the love of God. So we see that David is. Encouraging others to know the love of God by by telling them and inviting them to hear his word. And then he wants to show the love of God by this testimony where he's just breaking down how God has been so good to him. He has been so, so good. And then finally, and we're going to close with application three, we see a commitment to discipleship. David has a commitment to discipleship for these men, this audience that he's speaking to. And this is important here. If there's not a discipleship, then if there's not a growth in a discipleship platform, then you're going to miss a lot. And you're going to just kind of sit in baby food forever. Eventually, you got to grow and develop your relationship with God and, and learn more and more and more about His ways. And that's what David says here in verse 11. He says, come, children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. And so we don't use, we try not to use a bunch of like real churchy and theological terms, but I'm going to do that for a minute. So just kind of lean in for me. Um, So salvation, this is when you surrender your heart to Jesus. What that is ultimately is justification. If we look back at a couple of these passages uh, where David's bragging on God, he says, um, many are the afflictions of the righteous. When the righteous cry out, well, you understand that we're not righteous. Like, We can't just be righteous like we've sinned, we've short, we've fallen short. We've fallen short of the glory of God like he is holy, like we don't measure up to holiness. So how can we be righteous? That's through Jesus. We put on the righteousness of Jesus. So that's the accepting of Jesus, the the putting our faith in Jesus and who he is and the grace work that he did on the cross and the freedom that he gives us after raising from the dead and swallowing up. Death into victory. So we see this commitment to discipleship. That's the first thing. Salvation is justification. And then we get into glorification. We think about glorification. Glorification is the end result. This is us in heaven after our earthly life. And this is us in the presence. He's made us complete, made us full, made us whole. So that's glorification. So we have justification. We are redeemed. We have put on the redemption of God, of Jesus We have put on his righteousness, and that's how God sees us now, is through the lens of Jesus' righteousness. And then eventually we will be glorified in his presence, made whole, made perfect. But what is that? What is that middle ground? What does that process look like? A lot of times we get caught up in like, oh, yes, we have this is where we are now, and this is where we want to be, but we don't know how to get there. We can't flesh out how we want to get there. And that's discipleship. And that's what David is doing here. He has a plan for discipleship. He says, hey, guys, listen to me. I'm going to teach you to fear God. And this is, as we say here at Impact, is growing in the love of God. So we exist to, for others to know the love of God, to grow in the love of God, and show the love of God to the world. And this is working out perfectly where David is expressing these things. Where he says, Guys, come on. I'm going to teach you the ways of God. I'm going to teach you who He is and how we should act in light of who He is. And that's the truth, too. We act in light of who God is, not to get to God. I want to make that very apparent. You don't have to clean yourself up to get to God. You come to God from where you're at. God says, Man, I love you so much. Let me work in your heart, just make yourself available to me and I will just, I'll give, give you things and, and make your life so much more than you could ever imagine. It doesn't mean that things are going to be hard. David says like the righteous' afflictions are many, right? He says those who are righteous, their afflictions. Many are the afflictions of the righteous in verse 19, but the Lord delivers them out of all of them. So we see this, this commitment to discipleship, this commitment to growth. And here at Impact, we do that a handful of different ways, but mainly through, uh, through life groups and through our groups platform where we can get together and we can grow together. Discipleship doesn't happen without community. Jesus was in community with his disciples. Like he was always there with them. So discipleship doesn't happen without community. So we encourage you, that's your next step. Get plugged into a life group. Life will change. You'll dig into God's word. And it happens on an individual level as well where you just dig into God's word. You reach in, you reach out to, to others. You reach out to pastors and say, hey, what does this mean? But we discipleship, we grow, we disciple, we grow in God's love together step by step. We learn more about who he is, what he's done, how we can communicate that to others. And then we take that out and we share it. We take that invitation and we take that 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 victory out and we share it with others so this morning i don't know where you're at right now and and what's going on in your life i don't know if you're like david where you're at a point in your life where you're maybe operating in fear and making some terrible decisions maybe that's where you're at in your life and you just need to you need to seek god and understand that he can deliver you from those fears and trust and rest in him maybe things are going great in your life and it's easy to say God, you're so good. All my life you've been faithful. It's easy to recognize that. But wherever you're at this morning, I want to encourage you to rest on the truth and verbalize the truth that God is good. He is so good. Thank you for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast. For this and other messages, visit us online at impactharlem.org. In the meantime, you can subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it on iTunes, and share it with your friends on social media. Once again, thanks for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast.